Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. We're glad you've joined us for this week's podcast. Dr. Kelly is currently leading us through a series entitled Love and Respect, Marriage Matters. Here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. How are we doing today, church? We're doing good. We're doing good. Hey, keep that going and just welcome all of the campuses all over the place. Campuses of New Hope Church. Come on, welcome the movement. Celebrate the fact that there are probably more people in other locations that will experience the message today via video than there are at Central Campus. We have reached a tipping point with multi-site church, and it is exciting. Everybody say one church. Everybody say multiple locations. That's what we are. We are one church, multiple location. Happy Thanksgiving weekend to all of the campuses. Love you guys. Know you are having a great day as we are having a really great day here at the Central Durham campus. Hey, it's Thanksgiving and we should count our blessings. And I'm here to let you know today that you have a gift today. You have a gift today. We have a gift today. And I am so excited about Pastor Gerald Law, who is coming to deliver the word today. Let me tell you a little bit about Gerald Law. I met him uh, in the year, I think it was around 2000, 2001. I went to a conference at a church in Charlotte called Mecklenburg Community Church. Some of you have heard of that church. Significant, great church over there. He was a teaching pastor there for quite some time. He is now a pastor at Radiant Church in the western part of the church near Huntsville. Let me tell you a little bit about him. He's got three kids, Bailey, Christopher, and Luke. He's a church planter. He's authored four books. He is a significant communicator in the gospel of Jesus Christ. He did his college studies at a place in Chapel Hill, All I got to say is you state fans, man. You, you, no wonder you're in church today. You're praising Jesus today. Most of Carolina fans are at home with ashes and weeping and gnashing their teeth. Anyway, he went to the University of North Carolina. Gerald Law believes Jesus Christ through the local church is the hope of the world. As do we. Amen? As do we. And here is why I've asked him to speak this Thanksgiving weekend. And this has been on the calendar now for many months. Listen closely to me. When you leave today, if you will lean in and grab those teaching notes and grab that pen and crack open the Word of God with this man, from his story, if you are single... You will leave here if you feel called to be married. And we, you know, we haven't said that yet in the series, but you need to know that the Bible talks about the fact that it is okay to be single. <laughs> everything in our culture tells us we should get married. And everything in our parenting sometimes convinces us, and we've got to be careful, parents, don't teach your children this, that they will never be complete or fulfilled till they get married. That is a lie. Be careful with that. But if you're single and you feel called to be married... I believe you're going to leave here today more hopeful and more grateful for the spouse that God will one day send you. If you're married, though, listen closely. I believe you will leave here today more grateful for the person that is sitting beside you than you've ever been before. Because here's our number one problem in marriage. And come on, you know it's true. 
If we are not careful, we can slip into taking for granted our spouse. We can slip into being ungrateful for our spouse. We can slip into believing that the grass is greener on the other side. Church, I came by to let you know the grass is greener where you water it. This is a man who has a story that when I heard it sitting in a restaurant in Blowing Rock, I said, I need you to come and share that with the New Hope Church family. You are in for a treat today. I have told him you're one of the friendliest churches on the planet because you are. So do your thing, New Hope, and give it up for my good friend, Pastor Gerald Law. Here we go. <laughs> this is how they roll, man. This is how they roll. Oh, crazy around here. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. If I can live up to that introduction, that's going to be something. Seriously, um, welcome to you this morning. Welcome, guys. Welcome, campuses today. Uh, what a church. I remember meeting Pastor Benji in, yeah, like 2001 at Mecklenburg Community Church, and he was just uh, like a crazy, wild-eyed pastor with a dream. Seriously, with a dream. And, and I'm sitting here today going, wow, right? Look at what God can do. It's amazing. I hope you appreciate that being here every single week because coming in and not being here every single week and seeing this, wow, what God can do with a humble person who gives himself up to him is an amazing, amazing thing. So thank God for that this weekend on Thanksgiving weekend. I am grateful for that. I'm grateful just to be here with you today. My three kids, Christopher's here with me this morning. My other two are coming in just a little while and we are just excited to be here. I'm from Raleigh. My parents are there. They got my, my kids there and we're hanging out over the weekend. But I've been encouraged to be able to be a part of this thing and this series online over the past several weeks. Got to hear Pastor Benji talk about the crazy cycle. You were, were you here for the crazy cycle? That was good stuff, right? Where if he reacts without love to her, then she's going to react without respect to him, and then he's going to react without more love to her, and it's going to become this downward spiral, and some of us have been in that place in our marriage, right? Where it just becomes this downward spiral. But then there's this energizing cycle, right? Where we can flip that around with God's help and God's power. We can flip that around. And so when she treats him with more respect, then he turns around and says, I just want to love you more. And there's that cycle that, that goes and goes and goes. And that is an amazing cycle to be a part of. And, and the prayer and the hope in this series is that in your marriage, you're in that cycle right now. If you're married, that you're starting and you're, you're, you're turning it back around, that God is helping you do that. I also learned that Pastor Benji has a blue and pink shirt that is like half <laughs> half blue and half pink. It's like sewn together. I don't know if he like stitched it together, you know, late at night or whatever. But he's got a, a half blue, half pink shirt, which I don't know if that will ever see the light of day again. I do not know. Next week it's going to be back. So be here for the shirt. So, so last week, that shirt was amazing. Last week. Pastor Derek from the Garner campus, right, was amazing. He talked, a couple of them, he said a lot of great things. But he talked about listening. Men, <laughs> listening. Isn't that hard to do? But he talked about listening. He talked about living in an understanding way. He talked about how we've been given the greatest gift in our spouse, and we have to handle that with care, right? We have to handle that with care. The other thing I learned about Garner is that Garner serves sweet tea. Is that true? Bojangles? What am I doing here? 
Bojangles sweet tea. Biscuits? Not biscuits. All right, all right. Seriously, though, if you're a southern man, you've got two things at the Gardner campus. You need Jesus and sweet tea. That is an amazing play. I mean, that's awesome. So we, again, want to say welcome to all of our campuses that are tuning in right now. That was fun to get to, to learn from these great men of God. I get the honor of continuing this series. Today I want to talk about um, endings and beginnings because uh, they say that all good things come to an end, right? Have you heard that before? You heard that phrase, all good things come to an end. At least that's what people say. And so I was thinking about that this week as I was preparing for our time together. And I, I was thinking about other endings, things that do end. And I want to I share with you a few of those here that I was thinking about. One of them is a good book, like all good things come to an end, like a good book. And if you're a reader, you get to that last page of a really great book, and you don't want that book to end. I remember when I was a kid, I was reading, uh, the, one of my favorite authors was a guy named Frank Peretti. He wrote books called uh, uh, Piercing the Darkness, This Present Darkness. And I love those books, and they really helped me as, a, as someone who grew up and started writing. But I did not want those books to end. Have you read a book recently where you just didn't want to put it down, but all good things come to an end, and so you have to put it down. Um, another ending that I want to tell you about is all good things come to an end like this entire chocolate chip pie. That's my dog, Molly. She's the other member of our family. And so two weeks ago I made two chocolate chip pies. This is for real. I made two chocolate chip pies for my daughter. She was taking them to a church event. And I said, I'll make them for you. She didn't have time to do it. So I did it. And I was so proud of these things. I put them up on the stove. And I kind of pushed them to the back because my dog is notorious for doing certain things with food. And I, and I went out and I came back and Molly was the only one there. And I found Molly in the corner looking like that. <laughs> Guilty face. Guilty. And there was a pan that looked just like that on the floor beside her. A whole, the whole thing. The whole chocolate chip pie. And I know chocolate and dogs and all that stuff. But I didn't care. At the moment I just threw her out of the house. She's fine, all right, dog people, she's all right. I know chocolate and dogs. But that pie disappeared, not in the way that I wanted it to. There are other things that end, too. All good things must come to an end, like uh, anybody play Monopoly this weekend with their family? All good things must come to an end, like four-and-a-half-hour games of Monopoly. My son over here, Christopher, loves to play Monopoly, and he dominates us most of the time because he's ruthless. And in Monopoly, you've got to be ruthless, right? You have to be willing to take anything and everything away from the opponents that you have. And Christopher will leave that. He wants to leave the table up after the game is done, and he wants to leave it up even to the next morning. And so we'll be coming down the next morning early, and he's like standing beside the table, <laughs> smiling, you know, see what I did? <laughs> see what I did to you last night? But, and John Ortberg, who's a pastor, has said this a long, long time ago. At some point, the game has to go back in the box. Isn't that right? At some point, even if you don't want it to, even if you have dominated, even if Christopher has dominated that game, at some point, it all goes back in the box because all good things must come to an end. At least that's what they say. A couple more things I was thinking about because I am a local person with you, and um, Benji is a Duke guy. Do not even come up here. What are you doing? All good things. Cut my microphone on. Brother. Now, when you go to multi-site church, you're not supposed to be able to do these kinds of things. Like, but I think the campuses are going to have my back here. Um, 
You can leave the stage now. Oh, really? Look. You got to see the up for him. He's got courage. He's got courage. Give it up for him. Look. I was living in Raleigh long before you got to North Carolina. All right. All good things must come to it, like NCAA championship hopes and dreams. And that was just two years. That was two years ago, but it feels like yesterday to a Carolina fan like me. But listen, I know. See, you shouldn't have come up yet because, look, I'm, I'm being fair here. And they say that all good things must come to an end, like NCAA eligibility for the next 50 years, probably. See? All right. And just because I know there's some state people here, all good things must come to an end, like the Black Friday sale on the camouflage apparel at Bath Pro Shop. <laughs> you came up on stage with me. Um, all right. Seriously. I do want to tell you uh, uh, two ending stories of my own. One of them, Pastor Benji mentioned that I write books, and I, I write a middle-grade fiction series called Jonah Stone, Son of Angels. It's a Christian fiction series. It's been a lot of fun to write. But I started, that, that's been the last few years, I started writing in 1999, 2000. I was sort of honestly frustrated with, with part of my job. I didn't have a real creative outlet, and I had an idea for a book that summer of 1999. And my wife, Susan, at the time was uh, so encouraging to me about writing this book. And I, I'd never written really a lot before, but I had an idea coming home from a vacation. And, and here's the real truth about that idea. Uh, man, she had handed me a Nicholas Sparks novel called, I know, I know, called The Notebook. <laughs> she said, you have to read this. And I didn't have, honestly, I didn't have anything else to read on my trip. And I just said, okay, I'll pick it up. And I read it. And I really, I really kind of loved it and got into it. I'll own that in front of you here today. And so I even had an, I had an idea coming home, and it was sort of a, a Nicholas Sparks-ish type of idea for a book. And she encouraged me to write it, and so I wrote it. And, I, and it takes a long time to write a book. I mean, you, it's hours and hours and hours. You had to plan it out. And she gave me time at night to do that. And um, after about four months, I was done with this book. And, and I thought it was, was pretty great. And uh, no one else did because I tried to sell it to uh, someone. I tried to get it in front of a publisher. No one wanted to see it. Nobody wanted to see it. I tried and tried and tried and tried, and nobody wanted to see it. And so that novel sat on my laptop where it sits today. So uh, a little time went by, and I had another idea for a novel. And uh, crazy or not, I don't know. But my wife encouraged me to, um, to pursue it, and so I did. Same thing, same thing happened. And I got finished with it, and I put it on the laptop, and I said, I'm going to try to sell this. And I went and, and basically kind of knocked on doors and couldn't get anybody to read it, couldn't get anybody interested it's sitting on my laptop today. The same thing happened two more times over the next about four or five years. And so over the span of eight years, I had four unfinished manuscripts, unfinished novels on my laptop uh, where they sit today. And after every one of those, I felt like this is an ending. This is the end of my writing career, which wasn't even a writing career. This is the ending of that story. God had other plans. There's another ending story I want to tell you, uh, too. My wife and I were married. We actually met right down the street here, right off of Franklin Street, in 1990. We were married in 1995. And uh, the love of my life, the woman that I was in love with, and, and we began our life together in 1995. We had three children uh, in 2000, 2001, and 2005. I was in full-time ministry, and, and we had actually planted a church in the Huntersville area right above Charlotte. 
And we were cruising along. And in 2008, she gets a diagnosis of breast cancer, stage 2B breast cancer, where it had spread to the lymph nodes. And what a shock to our system that the diagnosis was. But we sat there and, and we said, okay, we're trusting God in this. We're going to trust him as, as well as we know. We're going to move ahead. And so she had treatment. She had chemotherapy. She had surgery. She had radiation that year. And we felt like we turned a corner. 2009 comes along, and we feel like we're, we're leaving that in the rearview mirror. We're moving ahead. And she has a recurrence in February of 2009. And, and so we go through the same thing again. It's still localized, just still in one place. And so she has surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation again. Well, the same thing. We feel we're positive about it. She's very faithful, very faith-filled, very peaceful about it, very much like, okay, God's, God's teaching us something here. We're, we're moving along. We're learning, and we're, we're going to move this, move along. And in 2010, the same thing happened again, another recurrence, and then another recurrence, and then uh, another recurrence in the fall that was different than the others, where it had spread. And we were getting to a point where we knew that if God didn't do something physically miraculous in terms of healing, a physical healing in a miraculous kind of way, that, that she's not going to see the, the end of the tunnel here. And so her health spiraled downhill that fall, and uh, she ended up in the hospital a couple times, and, and finally in December she ended up in the hospital for good. And on January 1st, 2011, Susan... Uh, my wife of 15 years, mother of my three kids, my best friend, passed away. A life ending, right? And I could spend a lot of time talking to you about the last several years of our lives and what that's felt like and what that's looked like and the grief that we've walked through. But what I want to say to you this morning is that there are times where you feel, too, like your life is over. Some of you might even have a similar story to that where you've lost a spouse, lost a loved one. And there are times where you feel like life is over. Now, let's talk about that as it relates to your, um, your marriage. Because there are times, too, and this is real, this is serious stuff. There are times where you have felt like, this is at the end. Like, we are at the end of this thing right now, and I don't know how to get past it. I don't know how to move beyond it, and I am grieving the loss of this. Like, like I have grieved the loss of Susan. And, and there are things in your life where, in your marriage, maybe right now, you are grieving the loss of something. Maybe it's not a life, but maybe it's the life you thought you were going to live together. And maybe your marriage just feels at times like it's over. Or you have gone through so much relational turmoil. Or maybe you're just in a, a place of relational apathy where you're struggling to even care and you're thinking to yourself, is this how it's going to be? Like, is this just how it's going to be? Is this all there is to life? Is this all there is to my marriage? Is this part of my life just over? Is it over? Because things have not turned out like you thought they would. I remember a long time ago, I was driving in the city of Chicago, and I'm a Raleigh kid, I was driving in the city of Chicago with some friends, and we were, I think, on Michigan Avenue, but we took a wrong turn somehow or the other, and all of a sudden, we end up seeing, a ban you know, it's like abandoned buildings start showing up, and dumpsters that are on fire, right? 
And they're like zombies walking around the city. And I'm like, we have taken a wrong turn. We've got to get back quick. Now, maybe in your marriage, you felt like, I took a wrong turn somewhere because I don't know how I got right here. I don't know how I got to this place right now. We're not supposed to be fighting like this. We are not supposed to talk to one another this way. I don't know if this is even worth it anymore. And you may be thinking to yourself, but my dream was that we were supposed to grow old together. And you got to know that in my mind, as I think about Susan, you know, when I really am honest, I'm like, we were supposed to grow old together, even though that's not guaranteed, right? That was just what we thought in the back of our minds. I want to share with you from the scriptures this morning. And the place that I landed on when I was thinking about this talk was really easy to actually end on. I want to talk to you about a man in the scriptures who came to an end of himself. A man who came to an end. And I want to see today with you how Jesus deals with him. Because I think in a lot of ways it's the same way he wants to deal with you and with me. We're going to talk about a guy named Lazarus, all right? John chapter 11. If you have a Bible, you can crack it open to John 11. It's going to be on the screen here too. Or if you have a device, you can check it out. John chapter 11 is where we're going to start, verse 1. We're going to dig into this story of a man named Lazarus whose life was over. We'll see what happens. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, she was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and and wiped his feet with her hair. Remember her? So the sisters sent word to Jesus. They sent word to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, Some of us have issues right now in our lives, in our marriages, where we need to send word to Jesus, don't we? Like, we need to send word to him. And I don't know if you're doing that today or not. But I'm going to ask you and encourage you to look at the Scriptures and to follow their example and to send word to him today. The first thing we got to do is to send word to him. This is true in all areas of our life. But let's stick to marriage for a second. You might be saying, Jesus, look, if you don't get here soon, if you don't show up, This thing is dead. Like, this thing is dead. I'm not going to say that out loud, but I'm saying that to myself. If you don't show up soon, this thing is over. Let me ask you a question. Are you sending word to him about your situation right now? Are you you sending word to him? Verse 4. When he heard this, Jesus said, listen to what he says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. Isn't it cool that it just says that? It just comes up and says that explicitly. Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. The obvious, difficult truth is this. God allows us to experience pain. We know that. Do I even have to say that out loud today? God allows us to experience pain. That's the obvious thing because we know that's true, and it's the difficult thing to understand because we don't want to believe it. And yet, look at these 
This passage almost doesn't make sense unless we understand this. If you look at verse 5 and verse 6, he says two things that when you put them together, in and of themselves, they hardly make sense. He says that he loved them. He loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. That's verse 5. He loved. What does it say right after that? He stayed. He loved them, but he, he stayed where he was for two more days. How do you reconcile him loving them and staying away for two more days? And it doesn't make sense that he wouldn't just come rushing in to do something, does it? Like that's what we would do, right? It doesn't make sense unless you understand that Jesus is up to something that he believes is greater than your personal comfort. It doesn't make sense unless you understand that Jesus is up to something that is greater, he believes, than your personal comfort. In other words, he stays away, and yet he still loves them. And we're going to understand why that is. And so Jesus finally arrives, and when he arrives, though, he discovers that Lazarus has been dead And he's been dead for four days. Now, Bethany, it was close to Jerusalem, so there are these Jews that are coming to mourn with them, to mourn with their family. And Martha hears that Jesus is coming. It's Martha and Mary, the sisters. Martha hears that Jesus was coming. She comes out to meet him, to talk to him. Mary stays home. Martha comes out to see him. And she says this, Lord... Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Who's ever said that before? God, if you had only been here, like if you had only showed up like I wanted you to, this wouldn't have happened. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection in the last day. In other words, she's saying, I know theologically that that's correct. But I'm not talking about that right now. I'm talking about what I am experiencing right now. Jesus, you don't understand. She says, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Jesus said to her, and I just want to picture him, right, grabbing her face gently and holding it and saying, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. No one, the one who believes in me, will live, even though they die, Martha. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord. She replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Listen, as important to Jesus as answering your prayer and my prayer is the faith that you have before he answers it. As important to Jesus as answering your prayer is, and maybe more important, is the faith that you have before he answers it. You've heard the phrase, right, seeing is believing. Seeing is believing, right? And there's even a, uh, even in our country, there's a state who, who's the, their motto is the show me state. You know who the show me state is, right? 
Missouri. Anybody from Missouri? That's faithless. The faithless people from Missouri. The show, <laughs> the show me state. Really? Seeing is believing. But you, you get it, right? You've got to show me in order for that to be true. I'm not going to believe it until I see it, right? But Jesus listen, will allow us to go to dark places where we have to believe in order to see. Jesus will allow us to go to dark places in our lives where we have to believe first in order to see. You see what he's asking her here? Do you believe me? He hadn't done anything yet. Do you believe me? What is Jesus concerned about here in their pain? It's something different than what they're concerned about. And he will often, in our lives, allow us to go to dark places because he wants us to believe before we're able to see. Because his goal is not to give us just what we want. Man, that is a hard truth to understand and to know and to really experience. But his goal is not to give us exactly what we want every time. It's to build up our faith. It's to build up our faith. And he does it in a lot of ways that maybe we wouldn't choose. But he knows best. And his goal in your life, whatever you're going through, is to build up your faith. It's not just to make everything easy and nice, and it would be great if that were the way it was, right? But he has a bigger, deeper, more important goal in mind for your life and for mine. So she says that. She goes back. She calls Mary aside. She says, the teacher is here. Jesus is here. And and immediately Mary snaps up out of her whatever she's doing at home, and she runs out of the house. And the Jews that are with her, they think that she's going to mourn at the tomb again, but she's not. She's going out to meet Jesus. And she comes to have an interaction with him too. Mary, the brother of Lazarus, who's died, right? And Jesus wasn't there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet and she said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. He wouldn't have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Hold on. Don't you wonder why, if this is God, that he is even deeply... Because he already knows, right? He already knows, and yet he comes and he sees her and he doesn't try to do anything. He, He is just deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. I'm grateful that the Bible includes that passage. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Let me tell you what this says to me is that Jesus grieves with you over the pain you're going through. He grieves with you. You know how in the Bible, if you're, even if you're not familiar with it, the Bible, it says that Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, right? The beginning and the end. Those two Greek letters in the alphabet, the the first letter and the last letter, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega. I also want to say to you today that I believe that this says that Jesus is the new. The new, the N-U, is the middle letter of the Greek alphabet. That Jesus is not only the beginning and the end, he is in the middle too. He is in the middle. 
He is in the middle with you in your pain, in in your suffering, and in the middle of the confusion that maybe you're in in your relationship, in your marriage. Right now, He is in the middle with you. He's not only present at the beginning and the end, He is present with you and me in the middle. It says Jesus wept and He was overcome. And I, I, I just, more and more, as we've walked through what we've walked through, I love that about Jesus. I can't tell you how many times the first year uh, after losing Susan, I just ended up in a place on my rug in my family room where I was like face down in tears and overcome with grief. And if you've experienced grief at all, you know that it comes in waves and you can't really predict how it's going to happen, but it hits you in waves. And it can be a song that you hear. It can be a a note that you find. It can be a certain piece of clothing that you see or a smell. But there were many times that first year where I would end up just flat on my face. And and every time, and I'm not saying that it was this um, incredibly mystical presence every single time, but at times I felt the presence of God with me. And uh, every time, though, I sensed him with me giving me the strength for the next step, not enough strength for the next day, the day after that day, but enough strength for that day to stand up and to continue to walk. And i got to tell you that in my family, and we have people all the time that will say, how are you guys doing this? I have three kids. I'm a single parent of three kids, right? How are you guys doing this? And I just, my only answer really is that there's this umbrella of grace that is over us. And it is nothing that I've done to earn that. It is just an umbrella of grace that God has given us that we are walking underneath. Jesus grieves with us over the pain that we walk through. Now, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone. He said, but Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor. He's been in there for four days. It's going to stink. Are you kidding me, Jesus? Then Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I've said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with the strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. If you don't get anything else this morning from this, Here's what I want to tell you. That your ending, your ending, the place where you've come to a dead end in your marriage, the place where you've come to a dead end relationally, the place where you feel like there is no hope, your ending is God's beginning. Your ending is God's beginning. It is the place that he wants to start from. It is the place where he says, now I got a chance when you're at your end to do my best work. 
I got a chance to do my best work now. I got a chance to start over with you now, to do even greater things through you now. And there may be a place in your marriage where it feels like things are at an impasse, a dead end, and you don't know where to go. And I just want to ask you today, do you, can you find just a little bit of faith to believe that God might take this place where you feel like it's an ending and start something brand new in that marriage, in that same relationship, in that place that's been so hard? And you might find yourself this morning stuck between your ending and God's beginning. I feel a lot of times in life like we feel like we're stuck between our ending and God's beginning. And what I want to say to you is just hang on. Just hang on and remind yourself it's not over yet. In fact, turn to the person beside you and say, it's not over yet. you got to say it louder than that. It's not over yet. It's not over yet. How do I know that to be true? How do we know that to be true? For one thing, we can look all through the scriptures and see places where people's lives have come to an end and yet God has said, that's not an ending. That's just the beginning. Think about people in the Bible with me for just a second. Think about these people. Think about Saul. Saul persecuting Christians, the persecutor of persecutors who wanted nothing more than to rid the world of this scourge of Christianity, he meets his end on the Damascus road and he falls off his horse and he comes face to face with Jesus himself and he thinks to himself, my life is over. I'm blind. He's blinded me. My life is over. And if I was in that same place, I would be thinking the same thing, right? My life is over. Jesus says, no, it's not. (laughs) It's just beginning. He took Saul, renamed him, gave him a new name, Paul. Paul wrote more than two-thirds of the New Testament. He planted churches. He led people to Christ. He did amazing things in the name of Jesus because Jesus took him and he said, you know what, your ending is my beginning. It's my beginning. Think about somebody in the Bible way back in the Old Testament in Genesis named Abram. Abram was living out in the desert with his family. He was like Palm Springs, you know, living out there, living the life. He was getting older, his children were growing up, and everything was good. He had grandchildren running around, all kinds of animals and stuff, and cattle, and he was a rich man. God calls him out in the middle of the desert, and it's not even, he doesn't even know who it is. At that point, it's just this foreign voice talking to him. And he says, Abram, it's time to go. He's like, oh, I mean, I got my life right here. He said, I want you to go. I'm going to go. I want you to go to the land I will show you. Not even going to show it to you yet. I'm going to show it to you on the way because you think that life is about over, but I'm telling you it's just beginning. Abraham is going to be your name, and you're going to be the father of a great nation. Think about Moses. Moses. He gets to be like 80 years old. You know, retirement and all that kind of stuff, and yet he ends up somehow on a mountain in front of a burning bush in the middle of nowhere and God is speaking to him and saying, I've got a job for you. You're, you think your life's over. You think you've come to the end of everything in your life, and that's not true at all. I've got so much more ahead of you than you even believe to be possible. And Moses fights him to the end. He says, I don't want to go. I can't speak well. I'm whatever. i got all these excuses. God says, no, you are the man. I'm starting over with you. Think about Peter. He had this life, the life of a fisherman, the nice, comfortable life. It was hard work, but he was making a good living. And he meets Jesus. 
and he comes to the end of himself. In Jesus, he sees everything about his future. And all of a sudden, everything that he had worked so hard for, for so many years, the boats, the, the, the staff, he leaves them behind. He walks away because he says, that's the ending for me, but I see a new beginning in Jesus now. Your ending is God's beginning. We can know that from the scriptures. I want to tell you, though, that we can also know that for one simple reason. The reason is this. The reason that your ending is also God's beginning is that you're still here. And your spouse is still here. I am still here. And I know that's simple, but it's so powerful. The biggest argument against the belief that my life is over and there were plenty of times where I told myself, my life is just over. I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm still here, but my, my life just feels like it is over. Like half of my heart has been ripped out of my chest. And so I'm doing the things I need to do, but my life is just over. But I had to come face to face with the fact that the biggest argument against that belief is that I am still here, right? And if I'm still here, God isn't done with me yet, right? Tell somebody beside you, I'm still here. I am still here here. Let me tell you, the greatest ending you can come to, the greatest ending you can come to, the greatest ending I can come to is the end of yourself. It's the end of yourself. It's the end of doing it on my own. It's the end of trying and trying and trying. And when you surrender, like the song we sang earlier said, when you surrender your ability to do it yourself, when you surrender your ability to do this marriage thing on your own and to make it work, and I'm going to get 50% and you're going to get 50%, we know it's 100% and 100%. We were taught that, right? Guess what? You can't do that by yourself. And the greatest ending you can come to is the end of yourself, where you say, God, I surrender. I surrender my ability to do this on my own because that's an ending that God can work with. That's an ending he can work with. I just want to tell you one more thing. One more thing. There is purpose in your pain. This is what I love about the scriptures, right? We don't just get this nice, nicely neat tied up bow on this story of Lazarus. He doesn't just disappear like poof out of the Bible forever. He shows up again. He shows up a little bit later. Like this, this dead now risen person. That's got to be crazy, by the way, to walk around like that. There is purpose in your pain. Here's what, here's what we see about Lazarus, real quick. On account of him, on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and putting their faith in him. You hear that? The end of Lazarus, listen, the end of Lazarus was God's beginning for him. Like the end of him was the God's beginning for him and not only God's beginning for him, but it was God's beginning for other people. You with me? The end of Lazarus and what he went through, God said, it's a new beginning for you, but not only for you, it's a new beginning for a lot of other people because of what I'm going to do through you. And there we start to see the thread of God's purpose in our pain. The heart of the gospel, the heartbeat of the gospel, the heart of Jesus himself is that your ending is God's beginning. The heartbeat of the gospel is if we will allow it to be true, that your ending 
is God's beginning. And so at, at like 5, you know, 5 a.m. on January 1st, 2011, Susan's mom and I were taking turns keeping watch. She had fallen into a deep sort of unconsciousness in the hospital. I was on a cot sleeping, and I hear this knock, and I'm just sort of out of it, but I, I, I get up really quickly, and it's her. She says, you got to come down here. And right as I had walked down, right before I got to the room, actually, Susan had taken her, her last breath and let it go. And I firmly believe that her ending, her ending that day was the greatest beginning that she had ever experienced that she has ever experienced. And I will know that for myself one day. And as you know Jesus, you will know that for yourself one day. That her ending was Jesus' great beginning for her. And I'm grateful for that. But while we're still here, we need to know and to understand that our endings that we come to God can do something so amazing with and so profound with. If we will turn to him and bring him this marriage, bring him this relationship, bring him the difficulties, bring him the pain, he's going to look at us and he's going to say, good, because I'm not done with you yet. Because your ending, your ending, where you feel like everything is stopped, is going to be my greatest beginning and my greatest work in you. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for your marriage. Okay? I want to just pray that as you're sensing difficulty and trial and trouble, that we'll be able to turn to him and allow him to do his great work through us and surrender to him and know that he has a greater purpose I also want to pray for those of us who maybe are just at an end in and of ourselves today. Like we've just come to the end of the rope, maybe in a lot of ways in our lives. You need to know that God doesn't see that as an end. He sees it as a beginning. He sees it as a beginning. And your life with him can start right over today. The gospel is so great and amazing and true. And that is the gospel message that your ending can be God's beginning. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so, so grateful that you're the God, not just who gives us tips and techniques to get through marriage, but the God who brings dead things to life. And some of us need to just confess to you right now, God, that our marriages feel like they're on life support. Will you give us your eyes today, God? Will you give us your eyes to see what you can see? Will you give us your eyes? eyes, that we can see our spouse, we can see our our wife, our husband, as the way that you love them. And we can love them in the power of your name with that sense of surrender and that sense of your love coursing through our veins. Others of us, God, have come to an end in ourselves, and it could be in our 
our career. It could be just in our spiritual lives. We just sense that I've tried everything and nothing is working. Lord Jesus, would you just draw us to yourself? Would you just whisper your word of life and resurrection to our hearts today? Would you just give us the ability to trust you? And those of us who are there, help us to put our lives in your hands. Thank you, God. We're so grateful for you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you would like to learn more about the ministries of New Hope Church, please stop by one of our six campuses anytime or visit us online at newhopenc.org. If you have any prayer requests, please send those to prayers at newhopenc.org and our pastors and staff will stand with you in prayer. We hope you'll join us next week. God bless and thank you for being a part of our church family.